0: We need you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. So we're in week five of our series entitled Valleys and Peaks, and if you've been able to join us for a, a good portion of this series or any of this series, I hope that in some way, shape, or form uh, that it has been an encouragement to you. Because if you're anything like me, whenever I face the valleys of life, whether it's circumstances, whether it's thoughts, whatever it might be, like I... I can almost convince myself, or the enemy can almost convince me, that I'm the only one who ever goes through this. I'm the only one who ever struggles to believe. I'm the only one who ever has these questions. And and one of the things that we hope comes through loud and clear throughout this series is that you will realize that you are not alone. Alone. And in addition to that, like not only are you not alone because you're surrounded, you're literally surrounded by people in this room today who also at times will struggle to believe, who at times will struggle with questions, but we have a Bible that is full of biblical heroes who also went through all kinds of peaks and valleys. And it's so encouraging to me to be able to look at, at these biblical heroes and, and the way that they responded whenever they were in a valley. And, not only how they responded, but how did God respond to them in the valley? And so today, I, 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 just, I, I want us to, to, to just kind of hone in and, and, and think about this, because the, the truth is, is that nobody ever wants to go through the valley. And I know that whenever we're in the valley, one of the very first things we want to do is, is try to make sense of it. We want to understand why we're in the valley. But as we do that, I want us to to, to To think about something that I know we've talked about here quite a bit in the past, and it's I don't want us to overlook the importance of, of what we've called the upper story and the lower story. This comes from a book that Max Lucado wrote called The Story, to where he just kind of tells the entire story of Scripture in narrative form, and one of the things that he draws your attention to at the very beginning is this idea of an upper story, which is where God resides, it's it's where his sovereignty rules, it's where God works all things together for his purpose. And then the lower story is what you experience, it's what I experience, it's what we know, it's what we feel, it's what we touch, It's it, it, it's, it's our lives, and... And there are times whenever the upper story and the lower story will collide. And and one of the things that we have to be willing to do is we have to be willing to acknowledge that there is an upper story and a lower story. And we also must be willing to submit to that upper and lower story in our own lives. But that's hard. It's challenging. It can cause us to ask those questions. And it's why I believe that this series we've been going through is so incredibly important. But today we're going to look at, at, at one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And, and it's a story that I believe probably shows the upper story and the lower story colliding more clearly than any other story that we'll look at throughout this series. It's the story of Joseph. And maybe you're somewhat familiar with the story of Joseph. If you are, you know that it covers an awful lot of real estate in the book of of Genesis. In fact, uh, we're going to kind of try and cover a lot of Genesis chapter 30 to Genesis chapter 50 in like the next 25 minutes. So that's our goal today. We're going to cover an awful lot of territory, which means, here's what it means. I know I'm probably wasting time whenever I'm saying I have a lot to cover with limited time. We're going to have an awful lot of narrative today. There's going to be a lot of story, so please, please, please do everything you can to track along with the story, because this is such a powerful story. Joseph's life has, has been nothing short of a roller coaster of emotions. It's been, I mean, it was definitely not absent of valleys and peaks. There were times that you would look at Joseph's life, and, and nobody would be able to doubt the, that God's favor was on Joseph, but then there are other times whenever you would look at Joseph's life, and Everybody would probably kind of wonder if Joseph was possibly cursed, and it all began with a dream. If you're familiar with this story at all, you know that Joseph was his father, Jacob's favorite son. He gave him this beautiful coat, and he treated him better than all of his other children. And, and so one day, Joseph, he had this dream, and he, he, he woke up, and maybe it was just you know youthful ignorance or something like that, but he decided, you know what would be a really good idea? I want to share my dream with my brother's. And he shares the dream with his brothers, and his brothers go on to interpret the dream to mean that Joseph is telling them, the little brother is telling the big brothers, you know how that would go, you all at some point in time are going to bow down to me. Like it or not, get on your knees, people. Like, like that's, a, that's a rough dream to hear. And so that in conjunction with this beautiful coat and his father's favoritism, it was just too much for these brothers to take. And so one day they were out in the field and they were working. And while they were out in the field working, Joseph was back with his father, Jacob, just chilling at the house. And, and, and so Jacob ends up looking to Joseph and says, hey, will you just go out and check on your brother's? And so Joseph gets up, he goes out to check on his brothers, and as he's walking towards them, he's a long ways away, and the brothers begin to kind of conspire and come up with this plan of something they're going to do to finally be able to get rid of Joseph. They talk about, do we just want to kill him? You know, how do we want to handle this? And one brother spoke up and brought a little bit of, you know, levity to the situation and just said, how about we just throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery? so that's what they did. Joseph went from being the favorite to in the bottom of a pit to becoming a slave. And he was a slave in a house of a man by the name of Potiphar. And it didn't take long for Joseph to become the favorite in Potiphar's house. He became the most powerful servant in Potiphar's house oh, in charge of all the other servants. And, and, it, and, and then sometime later, Potiphar's wife began to take notice of Joseph and saw that he was a young, good-looking guy, and she started to make advances at Joseph, and day after day, she kept making more and more advances, and day after day, Joseph kept saying, you know, no, thank you, I can't do that, you know, no, 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 please shoo, shoo, shoo away, until one day, she didn't want to be rejected anymore, and so she made one final advance, saying one thing's going to happen, something's going to happen one way or another, And so she traps Joseph, and Joseph once again turns away her advance, but she grabs his coat, and she ends up framing Joseph for assault. And so he goes from the favorite to a pit, to being sold into slavery, to the favorite, to now being thrown into prison. But it didn't take long for Joseph to become the favorite prisoner. He was put in charge of all the other prisoners the, the the guards loved him everybody loved him and and then one day a couple of people from pharaoh's household they were brought into the prison and and and, and there was a baker and there was a cupbearer and the, the 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 baker is telling him that the, the the baker's telling him his dream and 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 and, and then the cupbearer is telling him his dream and all of a sudden joseph says you know i'm kind of acquainted with dreams i kind of understand dreams and and, and so here's what your dream means To the baker, it wasn't a very good thing. He said, here in a few days, you're going to die. To the cupbearer, it was a good thing. Here in a few days, you're going to be restored back into your position in Pharaoh's house. And time went on and everything happened as Joseph said that it would. And before the cupbearer went back to Pharaoh's home, he looked at him. Joseph looked at the cupbearer and said, please don't forget me. But then the cupbearer went back to Pharaoh's home and he completely forgot about Jacob. And so favorite, sold. Favorite, prison. Favorite, forgotten. But one of the most powerful things in this entire story is regardless of where Joseph was, whether he was in the pit, whether he was in prison, whether he was in Potiphar's house, we continually read that the Lord was with Joseph. And in your valley and in my valley, the Lord is with us too. And where we're going to pick up the story today, things are once again beginning to look up for Joseph because after sitting in prison and being forgotten in the prison for quite some time, Pharaoh ends up having a dream. Many years later, and and after Pharaoh had this dream, that's where the cupbearer remembered, oh yeah, there was this guy in this prison who told me what my dream meant, and and maybe he could do the same for you, Pharaoh. And so he tells Pharaoh about Joseph and how he's just down the road in this prison, and Pharaoh calls for Joseph and brings him in and and tells him all about his dream. And Joseph tells Pharaoh, here's what it means. Your entire land, Pharaoh, is getting ready to go through seven years of plenty. But please do not waste the seven years of plenty, because as soon as those seven years are finished, you are going to experience seven years of famine. And Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph. He was so impressed with his wisdom and the way that he handled everything that he had gone through that Pharaoh then makes Joseph the second in command in the entire land of Egypt. And so here we, 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 we have, uh, following the seven years of, of plenty, Joseph had, had been asked by Pharaoh to make sure that during the seven years of plenty that, 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 that there was enough food that was stored away that they would be able to survive the seven years of famine. And so following the seven years of plenty, all the people in Egypt and all the people in the entire re- region, they begin to notice their food and all their resources just slowly disappear. And some of the people who were going through this famine and some of the people who were losing everything were Joseph's fathers and his brothers. And so once Jacob heard that there was grain that had been stored away in Egypt, he sent his sons to Egypt to try and get some grain. Well, all the sons except one. He didn't send his son named Benjamin, and and we'll talk about Benjamin here in just a a second, but, but Jacob... We just sang a song with his name in it. It, He plays such a prominent role in Jewish history. But just because he played a prominent role in Jewish history does not mean that Jacob had it all together. It is unreal to think about the things that Jacob did and the things that, 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 the, the character that he had for somebody whose name is mentioned in one of the primary introductions for God himself. That God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he had a lot, a lot, a lot of problems. He was a deceiver from the beginning. He had multiple wives, but he only had one wife that he really loved. He had children with each of his wife's servants. And out of all of his children, he would treat each of his children in accordance with how he felt about their mother. His favorite wife was Rachel. Rachel. And Rachel was Joseph's mom, which is the reason that Joseph was Jacob's favorite. But but Joseph wasn't the only son that that Rachel ultimately gave birth to. She also gave birth to a son named Benjamin. And so Benjamin is Joseph's full brother. And all that Jacob has left, because Rachel has now passed away, and, and, and Benjamin is all that Jacob has left that can physically tie him back to Rachel. And so Jacob, already believing that Joseph was completely gone, he was not willing to risk Benjamin as well. So so he sent all the other brothers to Egypt, but not Benjamin. And so they made this week-long trip to try and get some food. And once they came to Egypt, they encountered this Egyptian governor who was in charge of, of, of dispensing the food. But little did they know that this governor was actually their little brother, Joseph. The same one whom they had sold into slavery more than two decades earlier. But when they saw the governor knowing that this governor had all the power that pharaoh could could give any person knowing that he held their lives in his hand they walk up to him they fall on their knees and they bow down they do not recognize joseph in this moment but joseph does recognize them and i mean this makes sense we've all you you see a group of people that you haven't seen for a long long time and and you see one feature that looks familiar in one, and then you're able to put together another feature in and another, and, and sooner or later, Joseph realizes who, exactly who it is that he's talking to. He puts the puzzle together, but there was no way that they would have recognized Joseph. He's now 20 to 30 years older. He's dressed in Egyptian clothes. He's, he's clean shaven, and, and they had sold him into slavery, and they never expected him to be in this position. And so now Joseph knows who he's talking to, and maybe he's just wanting to have a little fun with these guys, or maybe he's wanting to see how or if his brothers had changed over the years, but, but he accuses them of being spies. And the way that the brothers respond is, is so fascinating to me, because they respond the same way that you or I probably respond whenever we're full of guilt. They respond by, by thinking that they are being punished for the sins of their past. They are being punished for what they had done to Joseph all these years before. Isn't it funny? And whenever we know that we're in the wrong, whenever we know that we feel guilty, that, that, that we begin to have conversations with ourselves, we begin to project thoughts on other people, whenever we are stricken with guilt that we never experience uh, a peace, and it's like everything ties back to the source of our guilt. And Joseph, he hears and understands every word that his brothers speak about how guilty they were feeling, and he begins to weep. And so over the course of the next several days, Joseph learns that Benjamin, his, his younger brother, is still alive with their father. And so Joseph comes up with a plan to, to make sure that he can see his younger brother at some point in time, he arrests Simeon, one of the other brothers, and puts him in an Egyptian prison and says, you can have Simeon back as soon as Benjamin comes to see me. But then as they leave, Joseph, he gives them their grain and and, and gives them their money back and even puts extra money in their bags to help them with their trip home. But again, their guilt from their past mistakes, it's all consuming. And in their guilt, They do not see Joseph's blessing as a blessing, instead they see it as another punishment because it's going to look like that they've done something wrong. It's going to look like they've stolen something. And so they go back home, and they go back to Jacob, and they tell him everything that this Egyptian governor had said, and Jacob was completely distraught. He's not willing to lose Benjamin too. He had already lost Joseph so many years before, and so Well, Simeon's just sitting in an Egyptian prison, Jacob does nothing. He just lets him sit there until they run out of food. And then Jacob came to this crossroads. Either don't send Benjamin and starve to death or send Benjamin and risk never seeing him again. And it's at this point that Judah, another one of the brothers, stood up and and said that he would be personally responsible for Benjamin, that he would guarantee Benjamin's safety. And so Jacob reluctantly agreed to let them go, and they took gifts and cash and honey and spices and almond, and absolutely terrified, they set out to go back to Egypt. And the text, it kind of gives us this picture. It's almost like what you see with the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal father, in a sense the waiting father in Luke chapter 15 to where you get this picture that just day after day he's sitting on his porch just in hopes that his son's going to come back. You get that same kind of picture here in the story of Joseph that day after day he's just sitting on his balcony just hoping that he sees his brothers come back once again. And then finally one day he sees those familiar silhouettes heading his way and Once he sees that Benjamin is with them, he gives orders to his servants to bring all the brothers into his house and to prepare the best feast that they'd ever had. And at the end of the day, Joseph, he he would come home and and once again, the brothers would get down on their knees and bow down to him. This time, Joseph asked about Jacob, about their father. He asked about his father and found out that he was still alive and well, and can you imagine the emotions that are running through Joseph's mind? The emotions that he's feeling, the pain of of the abandonment, the, you know, realizing the missed opportunities, the missed celebrations, the missed conversations, the missed dinners, all that had been missed, all those emotions, a boy who just wants his dad. The situation became too much for Joseph to handle, and so he ran out of the room and Once again, just started to weep. And then the next morning, Joseph loaded his brothers up with food and sent them on their way. And at this point, Joseph had seen some changes in the brothers that he grew up with, but he had one more test for them. Specifically, he wanted to see how would these brothers that sold him into slavery, how would they now care for their dad? And so he took his own cup and he put it in Benjamin's bag and sent the brothers on their way. And after they got a little ways away, he sent his people after them saying, somebody has taken my cup. And so they go, and they end up finding that the cup was in Benjamin's bag. And, 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 I mean, this is kind of mean, but I believe that Joseph was just curious how the brothers would, we, how they would respond. Because in the past, they just wanted to get rid of Joseph. He was the favorite. In the past, they held great animosity towards their father because of the way that he loved Joseph. But now, in this moment, Judah stood up to Joseph and said that you cannot take Benjamin because it would kill their father. It was a great reversal, and, and, and plus, he, he offered himself in place of Benjamin, and the scene could not be any more different than what it was nearly 20 to 30 years earlier. And once again, this small little grace was more than Joseph could handle, and he began to weep. In Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Then Joseph, he could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, just in case you didn't hear me the first time, but I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. But now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. And listen, this is where that upper story and that lower story collide. Because it was to save lives. That God sent me ahead of you. And Joseph would continue to, to reiterate the peaks and valleys in this roller coaster ride that was all part of God's plan. And, but it's these words that he says do, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It's these words that can bring so much perspective that can carry us through the toughest of times that we face. It's these words that remind me so much of this beautiful chapter in Romans chapter 8 where the Apostle Paul just tells promise after promise after promise. And one of the promises that the Apostle Paul shares there is that, and we know, like we can have confidence in this, that God works for the good of those who love him, for those whom have been called according to his purpose. You see, church, some of the most defining moments of our lives are not the wrongs that have been done to us, but some of the most defining moments of our lives are how we respond to the wrongs that have been done to us. It doesn't have to be somebody doing something to you. It doesn't have to be something that that, that you deserve. It can be a, a, a situation. It can be an illness, but but, but it's, not the, it's not how we respond, it, it, it's not the, uh, what has been done to us, but it's how we respond to the wrongs that have been done to us. And so Joseph, he tells his brothers to, to go get their dad, and when Jacob hears that Joseph is alive, he is stunned, he is shot, shocked, he is completely caught off guard. The Hebrew word literally means he was heart fainted. And so Jacob, he, he loads up everything, and he moves the family to Egypt and Pharaoh, out of appreciation for all that Joseph had done, he provided for him some of the best land in all of Egypt to become their new family home. And this story, it could not have more of a fairy tale ending, could it? After years of separation, the family is together again, more prosperous and more successful than ever before. But the fairy tale doesn't last forever because eventually eventually Jacob succumbs to his old age and he dies and the moment that Jacob dies all the guilt that his brothers had experienced came rushing back and and their fear was that J- jo- Joseph's grace to his brothers was tied to a person that that his grace to his brothers was tied to his father but now that his his, his father was gone that his grace would also leave as well but we know the grace that has an attachment to it isn't grace at all that's not called grace that's called a transaction but joseph's grace had no strings attached and so in genesis 50 we see some of the most powerful words in all of scripture it says when joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead they said what if joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. And this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they have committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, when the brother's message came to Joseph, once again, he wept. He didn't get it. I already told you I forgave you. I already told you that it was for the good, for, that God sent me ahead of you for the saving of many lives. Why are you doing this again? But his brothers came and threw themselves down before him once more. And they said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to him, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In verse 20, this is it. If you have a Bible, highlight this, underline this, circle it, do whatever you can to constantly draw your attention to it. You intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. You intended to harm me, But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Church, this story speaks so clearly to the life that Jesus desires for us to live. All throughout this story, you can see the fingerprints of Jesus everywhere. We see in this story Joseph being wronged, right? He's the subject of jealousy. We see him being sold into slavery for the cost of a common slave. We see him being accused of crimes that he never committed. We see him completely forgotten. You fast forward and you see Jesus being wronged, being the subject of ridicule, being abandoned, being sold for the cost of a common slave, being accused of crimes that he never committed being beaten, and being crucified. But it's not what has been done to us that makes the difference. It's how we respond to what's been done to us that makes the difference. And in that, we see Joseph's grace. We see him blessing those who hurt him. We see him forgiving and providing for his brothers. No strings attached. Then you fast forward and you see Jesus in his grace. Blessing those who tried to hurt him. Forgiving and providing. Arms outstretched on the cross. Looking down at all the people who had screamed at the top of their lungs to crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And looking at them and saying, Father, forgive them. Joseph's brothers had messed up bad. They carried guilt with them for decades. They questioned Joseph's grace, yet they received a grace that was more beautiful than anything they could comprehend. Maybe it's you. You've messed up bad. You've been carrying guilt with you for decades. You've questioned the grace of Jesus. But listen. Listen. You have received a grace that is more beautiful than anything you could ever comprehend. They intended to harm him. But God, through Christ, meant it for good, for your good, for my good, so that on every peak and in every valley, we may be able to look back on our lives just as Joseph did and see that the Lord was with you and the Lord was with me. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, thank you for this opportunity just to come to this place and open up your word. And God, I know that that's a lot. But may we not get lost in the story and miss the purpose Jesus, you have done so, so much for us that we could never deserve. You have given us a life that we could never deserve. So today we're here in this place to just say thank you. Father, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.